11 million is all that Council is willing to pare from the EPS budget. This week, Council wraps up its very tepid response to the outrage regarding EPS funding by cutting an amount probably less than the staff time required to listen to and ignore all the speakers at public hearing. Plus, the COVID financial update came through and things are looking bad, but not bad enough to stop building freeways. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, where it is the Friday after Hamilton came out on Disney+. And you can believe I was organizing an outdoor viewing of Hamilton last weekend. And Mac, ask the question. How was it? Did it live up to your expectations? I have avoided listening to that album for six years. I have judiciously ran out of stores that were playing songs because I wanted to experience it as the full show the first time. So my expectations were set unrealistically high. There was no way something (laughs) could be anything other than a disappointment. And you know what? Hamilton delivered on my expectations. Nice. That was my first experience too. It's an amazing show. Shout out to Disney. Uh, Go give them money, I guess. (laughs) Plug in big media on speaking municipally. Hamilton's about the US government. We've got important local government stuff to talk about after the rapid fire. Alan, the owner of Yoshi Express on White, a new Japanese restaurant that was struggling to make rent, saw a huge windfall after Linda Huang, known on the internet as Lindork, recommended his establishment to her following, prompting lines to flow out the door. The demand increased so rapidly that the restaurant had to be closed for a day to make more chicken. Many other businesses saw this as a golden opportunity and channeled some of their advertising budget into paying other Edmonton influencers However, all of these restaurants have now, inexplicably, been closed permanently. After all of our calls went unreturned, we spoke to one source who said, on condition of anonymity, that they were reaching out to broadcast a plea to their fellow restaurant owners. This person said, quote, There is only one Edmonton food influencer. Don't forget it. You don't want to end up as a literal ghost kitchen. What Lindork giveth, Lindork may taketh away. The world's largest airport solar farm will be arriving at the Edmonton International Airport. The 120-megawatt-hour facility will harvest the sun's rays unimpeded by planes flying over because no one is going on vacation, you cowards. The airport is celebrating the innovation and sustainability of the initiative that can power 28,000 homes because, oh, you love sustainability, and that's why you're not getting on a plane because Greta Thunberg told you not to, and you clearly can't think for yourself. Said the head of marketing of EIA in a statement, quote, Just get on a plane, Dillweed. We're dying here. Downtown businesses are, quote, super excited about a new agreement that sees the downtown hospitality sector granted exclusive contracts for supplying room and board for an overflow of prisoners. The captives, who will be locked in a cell consisting of Rogers Place and the downtown Marriott, will be force-fed exclusively Earls and Trey Carnalis before being forced to perform for the world's pleasure in a dystopian drama casually referred to as the NHL Hub City Plan. Said Oilers captain Connor McDavid, quote, It's like the Hunger Games, except I'm not at all hungry because I have to eat enough takeout to somehow generate upwards of $20 million of economic activity. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this week, we want to tell you about Straight from the CPA's Mouth, a new podcast series created by the CPA Foundation and funded by the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. 
Alberta's chartered professional accountants, or CPAs, are expert on a wide range of topics of interest to Albertans. Straight from the CPA's mouth has discussions on the topics that are important to you, from leadership skills and achieving career potential to financial literacy and how to make your tax refund bigger. Whether you're a university student, a new Albertan, or a parent, you'll find something of value on this unique podcast. You can find Straight from the CPA's Mouth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or on the CPA Education Foundation's website at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. That's cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. We'll start this week with exactly what you'd expect us to start with. It's come after, some would say, probably decades too late um, and a long several weeks of hearing from the public, of debating it. Council made... We'll call it a decision on uh, policing in Edmonton, what changes they might make or not make, and how they're going to address the protests of anger and of desire for change that Black Lives Matter has spurned. Um, So, Mac, what happened this week? Well, this was the conclusion of the hearings that council held on policing and community safety. So it started about a month ago, actually. And after hearing from about 150 members of the public, hearing from administration and and members from the Edmonton Police Service, council debated and amended multiple times a very long motion. I'm not even sure that it's fair to call this a motion. It's a 15-page document. It is unlike nearly any motion that council has made in my time following council. The only thing that comes close perhaps is the arena motion uh, with all of its various parts. Uh, And for all of this various parts, I think the consistent criticism we've seen is that there's not a lot of substance. The kind of two key high level takeaways uh, from the motion is that they decided on a $11 million decrease to the planned increase, which means the police are still getting an increase, just a smaller one. And that's split over the next two years. So it's about 1.7% of their annual budget per year. So not a very big change in terms of the funding that goes to the police, certainly not a defund in the way that some people interpret that. And then the other main outcome that many of the councillors talked about in their closing statements this week is the establishment of a community safety and well-being task force, which we expect a bylaw to be back for in August. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that in a minute. So those are kind of some of the highlights. As you say, we'll call it a decision, though they didn't decide on much. So neither of us were present in the room speaking to council. I guess no one was present in the physical room, but uh, Rob Houle was one of the speakers. He's a writer and researcher, and he's joined us to talk about his experience talking to the motion, and we're going to say his disappointment uh, with the result. I'm being presumptuous there, but I expect there's not a lot to be super excited about in this motion. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invite, and I'm happy to be here. So, Rob, you spoke on June 15th to council, correct? Uh, I think that it seems like it was so long ago. It was the first day on the, I was on the first panel, uh, with Mr. Diot as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're, we're just going to let that one move <laughs> along. Um, so tell us about your experience speaking to council. Um, so prior to speaking on the 15th, I think it was, um, I had previously presented to council a little while before that on an issue surrounding, the EPCOR solar farm and the indigenous engagement that they did for their first round of approvals that they were looking for. So I had some experience. Uh, and then, of course, when I worked for the city of Edmonton um, as a supervisor, doing some presentations regarding budgeting and reports and whatnot. So I was somewhat 
versed in the practice. So why was it important for you to speak about this particular issue? Uh, As I mentioned in my presentation to council in 2005, me and my brother were actual victims of police brutality and um, police uh, malfeasance, let's say, um, after a night at one of our local establishments. So uh, very passionate about policing. I have some very experience-related opinions about policing and um, sitting on kind of when I work for the city, sitting on the Indigenous Community Liaison Committee or the Indigenous Chiefs Liaison Community, whatever it was called, ICLC, um, sitting there and providing feedback from the Indigenous Relations Office perspective on policing and policing issues. So again, very versed in in that side of things as well, but uh, um, just wanted to have my voice heard and share my stories about uh, what the police do to uh, black and brown people in Edmonton. High level, what were you trying to communicate? What were you asking of counsel or what were you trying to get across that you were hoping they heard? I was trying to kind of counter the narrative that was set forth by uh, Chief Dale McPhee around um, how there's this perception that the police are there to protect everybody and that they're there to stop crime and they are there to i think the chief said stop the meth dealers and things like that real a a real sense of fear-mongering and kind of his speaking points i wanted to paint a human aspect uh from an indigenous person's perspective that the police aren't there to protect everybody and they definitely weren't there to protect me and my brother and i think through the hearings that went on as he said for a better part of a month, uh, three weeks, that we continue to hear stories from people in the community that had similar experiences to mine. And that's also why I think it was it was happenstance that I went on the first panel, because I hope I, I encourage other people to speak out about what the Edmonton Police Service does to them and, and against them. Do you feel like you were heard truly that council was truly listening to you and the other speakers again with with some of my previous experience working with the city and with many members of council um they kind of know who i am they know of me through just interrelationships and and working together and sitting down in rooms and having indigenous relations focused conversations so i think there was a sense that they were listening but Again, with the decision that was ultimately made, I don't think that they were feeling or or really intentional on listening to what people had to say. Did they did they ask any questions of you or, or the other people in your panel that were notable? Um, there was a lot of back and forth around reconciliation aspect. They defaulted back to me a number of times on kind of my speaking points around defunding the police and and reallocating funds and doing things like that. They spoke to the one of the first speakers again, who was Mr. Diot and, and kind of his speaking points. Um, so there was quite a bit of back and forth on that first panel. And, and then people probably don't remember because it feels like it was so long ago. So let's talk about what ended up happening, the end motion that got approved. What were your thoughts on the ultimate motion that ended up being passed? And did you consider it a success or a win? After I had spoken and after about a week or two of uh, the continued presentations, and again, very, very thoughtful, very well-versed presentations from some of the Black Lives Matter community, and you had professors and doctors and people like that, giving council a real map of 
of how they could go about reallocating and redistributing funds to help save people in the community. I think it was a lot of great conversation. Um, but I remember speaking to my wife after I had spoken definitely and a couple of days into the, the hearing that I, I kind of forecasted what was going to happen. And, and for a lot of it, it's all, it's all political theater to the most part. But I, I told her that really what council is going to do is they're going to defund an amount. It's not going to be 75 million. It's definitely not going to be 30% because again, we have to remember that we have an election coming up next year. So they can't be seen as doing something drastic like that. It's going to be a small amount that really will will try to appease and appeal to the people that are calling for defunding. Um, it's going to be, I told her, probably inadequate, but it's going to show at least to regular Edmontonians that council listened to some of our concerns and demands. And and lo and behold, when when the vote was cast on um, the strange voting, I don't know if, if anyone was, was listening to the voting or watching the voting, but they went through this fill-in-the-gap kind of process to to figure out what number they are finally going to fall upon. Right. And and again, just utter utter disappointment when you have councillors like Councillor Paquette and the mayor and Andrew Knack um, speaking that to show real action, they needed to at least cut the 16 million, which is the, like you mentioned at the beginning, the annual increase for this year was 16 million. Next year, they're slated for another 16 million. So to show that you're really going to try to try to do something meaningful, maybe at least freeze their funding amounts. But of course, they did not do that. They they managed to split the $11 million over two years. So instead of uh, a $16 million increase for this year, um, the police are getting a $10 million increase. And then next year, it'll be $10 million again. So really, does that does that speak to uh, an, or an action that, that uh, the speakers were looking for, not really. Um, and it's it's very disappointing that they wouldn't be bolder to want to save brown and black faces and, and people who were being uh, brutalized by the police. And then today you have another story of, of another instance where we have six to 15 officers swarming one gentleman inside of a convenience store because of a stolen license plate. And, and luckily bystanders videotaping it all and, and real, a real sense of, of just violation from the police in that instance. And this is what people of color and, and BIPOC people in the city of Empton experience on a daily basis. And, and that shows, again, that something bold needed to be done. And I think council fell short on that. You, you tweeted something, Rob, that caught my eye. You said, compromise, although viewed as a positive, will will always benefit the majority. And you said that the only hope is that people remember who did and did not want to do these bold things to change this status quo and vote accordingly next year. Is that the only option you see now? Like, essentially, they heard from all of these people. There's all these stories, like you mentioned in the news, and they didn't do anything about it. Do you see the election as really the only recourse now? Or do you think there's another way? I get. We'll have to wait and see what um, what November holds. But again, the the awkwardness of the fill in the gap, fill in the blank voting process, and how we saw real stonewalling by council around the sixteen million dollar sixteen million dollar vote with the majority and and the ones that were kind of listening, going looking to be bold, and then the ones that weren't 
um, sticking by their guns and, and literally sticking, sticking by EPS guns um, right. and not wanting to budge a little bit. So I think unless we can really put the pressure on, and again, more stories like the one that, that came out today continue to boil to the surface, I think maybe some of those kind of wavering authorities on council might want to swing the other direction and want to do bold things. Um, but until that happens, I think the only other recourse is is voting people out who, who again, if, if there's a large concentration of minority populations in, in their kind of wards, really starting to mobilize and, and do some of these things. And, and we even saw it with some of the speakers that had presented at council saying, well, now I know who I have to run against in the next civic election, uh, municipal mm-hmm. election, and I, I'm going to do it because that's the only way to institute change. And my other kind of comment on that tweet chain was that the only uh, the only other option then is also civil disobedience, which means um, boots on the ground and taking real to the streets action to try to get people to hear us. Because again, with all the presentations that went on um, out in the public, we we voiced our concerns. Uh, were they heard? The evidence probably speaks not not so much. And then of the 12,000 emails or, or whatever the number was that council said they received as well. I can only imagine how many of those are pro-police. Uh, and then on top of that, well, then who do they value more? Whose input do they value more? Is it the people who write these emails and could be just blanket emails from police and police officers and their families? Or is it that people don't have the courage to speak out vocally? And we see now kind of where council puts their support. I think when situations like this arise, there's always kind of two ways you can look at it. You can you can look at it as utter defeat and that society and, and the systems and structures within society serve one purpose, or you can really take it as an encouragement to want to mobilize more. And I think that's what all of this kind of the tragic death of George Floyd kind of created here is this moment of mobilization where people now are taking racism, and it's not the older generations, it's the younger generations now taking a sober second thought and thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe all these things really are racist and maybe we can do better. I, for one, in my kind of 36 years here on this earth, never thought I would ever see the Washington football team consider a name change. Um, and now knowing that all the fights that have happened down there with the hard Joes and going to the Supreme Court and things like that, to now see that because other people and funders and, and sponsors now are, are asking for them to change it, they're going to, it looks all the indications are probably going to change something like that that can be so detrimental to Indigenous people. So you also get the hope in those kind of instances. So if one of our listeners, by some stretch of the imagination, hasn't found a way to contribute to this movement, um, what would you tell a listener who's convinced by you today I, that wants to get involved and really push the needle forward, what can someone go home and do today to really help move the needle forward on making Edmonton police more accountable and safer for the rest of the city? I think we we saw it uh, today with the, the news story that broke. Um, having your phones ready whenever you see someone getting arrested or accosted by the police because um, that young brave gentleman who pulled out his phone inside that convenience store and videotaped the incident of an innocent man being um, kind of tackled by police. 
uh, and then ultimately getting charged himself for obstructing the police, um, and then having those charges dropped today. That's something that you can do is be bold, be a witness, be a good type of witness to to catch these kind of um, unwarranted actions, and then go and read um, some of the Black Lives Matter YAG stuff because their plan on defunding and reallocating uh, resources that, that come from the police is a fantastic resource. And again, council talked about, well, we need a real plan. We need, we need, we don't need hearsay or we don't need these pie in the sky things. Well, no, but they presented a thoughtful and well thought out and well strate- strategized plan on where and how funding should go. So reading up on all of that stuff. And then when, when time comes showing up, being vocal, showing up to to vote and vote out uh again we know who was for and not for doing something bold taking direct action and voting whoever you think should would do a better job into office being present on social media retweeting reposting things engaging in real dynamic conversations with people even within your own units your own family units and your own households to really challenge some of these outdated ideas that they have about uh, people of color, Black, Indigenous people, really starting to reframe some of these conversations because all the the stories that people have been told or learned growing up, um, they're not indications of who people really are and that there needs to be some real fact-finding mission on, on people's own accord to want to do better and be better. And that's also what we heard when people were presenting to council was this call to to do better and be better. And as, as we've seen uh, with the, the final vote, that's probably not going to happen because the police will continue to get their increases, although it'll be a little bit less of an increase. It's still an increase on previous budgets. And then as I kind of posted in conversations with with one of the counselors, we've already done the task force thing. The task force was done back in 2009 when the city of Edmonton established reach at that time, there was a community safety task force that was put together by Mayor Mandel to go out and solve the ills of society and crime and to, to re-strategize and refocus the city on lowering crime numbers. The problem with that approach, of course, is that the crime numbers that they wanted to lower were what they perceived as the main contributions, which were uh, the Black community, the Somali community at the time, uh, Indigenous gangs was another kind of focal point of that community task force. And again, we can see even with crime statistics in Edmonton, it's not just the Black, Brown, Indigenous people that are committing crimes. It's it's a large facet of other populations as well, and especially property crimes. So um, the focus of REACH has really, I think, just continued this narrative of of oppression and focusing on the wrong sectors of population. I think if, if people can go back and also reconsider some of that work, I think it'll help point things in the right direction. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Rob. Um, you've given us a lot to think about, and hopefully you continue and really push our council to make the right choice in the future. Yeah, definitely. I plan on on sticking around and I've been in the city now for um, 18 years in and around the city and living in and working. So um, I, I've built a life here. My family is here. And the main goal of all of this work is to make a better life for my kids and, and for other people's 
kids and to encourage them to want to speak out against some of these things and and help them have a sense of place in the city of Edmonton and surrounding communities. So thanks for sharing your story. So I think taking away from this motion, we will establish a committee to talk about the next committee that we should establish to eventually accomplish talking about doing something. Is that basically the takeaway here? That's pretty much it. I mean, you heard Rob talk about it, but I just wanted to reiterate this. And I think especially because in their closing statements, so many of the councillors talked about the establishment of this new committee as such a key outcome of these discussions. It's really disheartening. There was REACH, obviously, that Rob mentioned. It was formally uh, stood up in 2010 after that mayor's task force. There's the Anti-Racism Advisory Committee. There's at least two council initiatives that probably have some overlap with what we're talking about here. There's the Poverty Elimination one, as well as a Gender-Based Violence and Sexual Assault Prevention Committee. And of course, there's End Poverty Edmonton, which itself came out of a previous council initiative. Like, there's no shortage of committees. And I've seen some pretty spot on criticism that forming committees is just a tactic for deferring action on on racism. And I would broaden that it's a a tactic for deferring action on many things. Council loves to create these committees and initiatives. Uh, There's a lot of overlap between these organizations, and they don't have a lot of funding to do what they're supposed to do. All of that funding goes to the police. And the real action here could have been to fund those things we've already created better so they could do a better job and address the concerns that people have about those organizations and committees rather than just creating another one. I think the best indicator of council's unwillingness to take any action here, other than, of course, the fact that they still gave the police a raise uh, every year, was the watering down of the carding section of the motion. Mm, Yeah, A, A simple concrete action that council could take to show that we're serious, but not even contribute a single dollar would be to say, we're ending the practice of carding carte blanche. This is, this is happening. That's a solid commitment, but council of course didn't do that. The original motion as proposed, it purported a bit stronger language of having a public hearing on carding to, uh, ostensibly end the carding practice. But the end motion was like, write a letter to the police commission to say, pretty please, can you talk about carding sometime? And I think just the level of milk toast involved in that motion is this entire uh, process in a nutshell. Definitely. I don't know what the next steps for this are going to be. I think we can tell by the comments from our guest that the community isn't about to forget about this, given that their lives are on the line every day. So this will come back. The mechanism by which it comes back in our bureaucratic democratic process, I I don't know. That's something we're going to have to watch in the future. We know we'll see this bylaw to create the committee, and we know that there will be the fall budget adjustment. Um, But beyond that, where we're talking about things they've already decided, you're right. They're going to have to take some additional action if people keep using their voice to call for it. This week, we got some material updates that council, I guess, could take some action on, though their hand was forced. We got the financial update about COVID and how COVID has affected the city. And spoiler alert, it's pretty big. Uh, COVID has affected the city. Materially. Yeah. So uh, in the news conference about this today, Mayor Iveson said, quote, Edmontonians are going to have to be patient with their city. 
end quote. He highlighted that um, many services that the city provides are simply not going to be able to get back to pre-COVID service levels. And he specifically talked about, you know, uh, cutting the grass is something that people have been complaining about. So the, the budget update that council got this week is that there's an additional budget shortfall now of $20.2 million for the year. So that's on top of the $46.5 million that we first learned about back at the end of April. Um, so, you know, that's a, a net shortfall for the year of, of about $66 million, which is equivalent roughly to a 4% tax increase, according to uh, administration. There's a similar uh, shortfall, a bit larger for 2021. Current projections of the probable scenario put that at just over $85 million. So, you know, this is partly uh, due to increased costs to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic and also due to reduced operating revenue as a result of some of those decisions that we have talked about previously over the last number of weeks. So things like making transit free and parking free and those kinds of things. Um, Adam Lachlan, the interim city manager, said that these, quote, these were the right decisions, but they had a price, end quote. All of that, while important and it's good information to have. I don't think anyone is particularly surprised by that. You you take in less money and you spend more money and go figure you have a shortfall. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. There was, however, a pretty big surprise in this funding update. Yeah, we got uh, an update from the province this morning as well. And uh, the mayor and and uh, the city manager were able to talk about it in their news conference. Uh, but basically funding from the province for Terwilliger Drive, for the, the expressway conversion that we have previously talked about on this podcast. In his comments at uh, his news conference today, the mayor kind of had a snarky tone about this. And he said this is unprecedented in having one level of government basically fund the whole project. And he was very clear that he's disappointed the province did not put any money, so far at least, into any of the, quote, shovel-ready projects that uh, council had previously prioritized and submitted to the province in response to a request for for that. Uh, He also talked in the update about, you know, how infrastructure spending isn't going to help everybody like there might have to be a cut to infrastructure funding actually because essential services things that people rely on to have their city be working come from the operating budget and one of the ways that council might address that shortfall that we talked about is to cut some of that infrastructure funding and redirect it over to the operating budget so he was a bit annoyed i think that you know the city isn't really getting any help for the projects that it thinks are shovel ready and could have, you know, job creation aspects. And it's also not getting any help uh, for the operating budget. Um, and you noticed perhaps another reason why the Terwilliger funding was such a big deal today. Engage me in a hypothetical. The Terwilliger Drive Expressway expansion infrastructure budget, which is $120 million, could be considered dark money, illegal political contribution pack money. That is my assertion. The expansion of the Twilliger Drive Freeway was the UCP meddling in the municipal election. And let me support my thesis. One, like you said, the city of Edmonton has submitted a list of shovel-ready projects for infrastructure funding based on priority and based on Edmontonians' need. The UCP ignored that list completely and picked Twilliger Drive, which isn't on the list. Now, we'll note that this is the expressway expansion. We had already, as a city, committed to funding upgrades to Twilliger Drive at over $100 million from the city coffers because we deemed those necessary. We have funded the necessary enhancement. This $120 million expansion is a nice-to-have 
that doesn't make our list. And the UCP decided they're going to fund the entirety of that. At the press conference announcing this funding, it wasn't the mayor of Edmonton. And $120 million unilaterally being contributed by a province, this is news. This normally would be like a big ribbon cutting, and you'd have the head of the city government our mayor there to accept it. But it was Tim Cartmel, counselor from Ward 9, who we have uh, speculated might be an alleged UCP-funded candidate for the municipal election running for mayor. He was there to accept it. And I think the egregious, gross topping on this cake was a tweet from Casey Madu, which I shared with you, and I just found it shocking. Yeah, this tweet from uh, the Minister of Municipal Affairs said, quote, the NDP had a bogus plan for Terwilliger Drive that the city says couldn't have worked and was funded by their job-killing carbon tax on everything. We are making real investments to complete the Terwilliger Drive expansion for businesses and families in South Edmonton, end quote. And it included a video. Yeah, so the text of that, whatever, uh, this is par for the course for Alberta politics at the provincial level. But the clip that he included was a video of just counselor Tim Cartmel talking about the mechanism by which the old NDP plan for Twilliger Drive required that Twilliger Drive had a bus lane that had electric buses. You know, it was funded via the carbon tax, so they wanted a green energy spin to it. Cartmel was explaining the mechanism of that and why it was a bit more difficult than not having restrictions. Go figure, combating climate change is harder than not combating climate change. But this tweet, it's got this, you can imagine it, the like slandery smear campaign text. And it said the NDP's bogus plan. And that's on top of a city councilor speaking. So not only does this make it feel like Edmonton City Council is attacking the NDP, but Tim Cartmel doesn't speak for the city council. The mayor does. That's his role. That's why we elect a mayor. And that's why council can vote to remove the mayor from the role and use deputy mayor shenanigans if they think the mayor doesn't speak for the city. But the mayor speaks for the city. And for the UCP to broadcast this tweet that makes city council partisan, which it's not, and to use a member of council as the voice of city council when he's not, it presupposes that there's a new mayor and in my mind, is trying to slip Cartmel in as a possible mayoral candidate. And to do that by spending $120 million of taxpayer dollars on a thing that council decided wasn't necessary, gross doesn't even begin to cover the feeling here. You're absolutely right. And if this is a sign of things to come for the municipal election in 2021, we're going to have a hard time keeping track of all of the craziness that's going on. One thing you can keep track of is the Well Endowed podcast, which is another ad. Money's coming from all sources. Tell us about the Well Endowed podcast. The Well Endowed podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation is hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Recent episode is 74, and it explored how Chinese communities in Edmonton continue to grow strong. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or check it out at thewellendowedpodcast.com. So that's all for this week and this month. Speaking Municipally is now officially going on our summer break. 
unless we're forced back because I know the summer story is going to be NHL Hub City. And there were some questions about it at that in, uh, news conference today. They're talking about this huge, you know, tens of millions of dollars in the hole. And, and then there was questions about how are we going to make this NHL Hub City thing work? There had better not be any public money behind this project. If there is, you can count on us to keep you informed. That's our job. <laughs> uh, until such a time as we are back, either from the Hub City or in August when City Council returns, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Rob. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love.